0: Well, good evening. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to the book of Jeremiah. You should be able to find it right around the middle of your Bible. Now, it's interesting that Josh just mentioned uh, that this is the longest book of the Bible outside of the Psalms, because he is wrong. (laughs) Jeremiah makes up 5.2% of the entire Bible. Now, that's just one book, and you think, you know, 5%, eh, that's nothing, that's insignificant. But I just, driving on the interstate the other day, Sam and I saw the the Powerball, you know, the number, what it's up to. It's like 500 and some million. And if we were given an opportunity to have 5% of that, I think we would jump at that opportunity and say, absolutely, I'll take 5%, right? I'll take that measly old 5%. But when we look at the Bible as a whole, all 66 books, this one book of Jeremiah is 5.2% of the whole Bible. For one book, that's a significant chunk. So there are a couple different ways that you can measure what the longest book of the Bible is. And one of them is by chapters. And so Josh, I think, even said last week, if you go by chapters, Isaiah has the most with 66. Uh, If you go by verses, that's another thing that's different. Verses were not Uh, initially written when the Bible was written they were added in later to help you find things but the most accurate way is to just count the number of words that were used and so by doing that Jeremiah is the longest book of the Bible with 33,002 Hebrew words being used Genesis is actually the second longest book of the Bible and that comes right after and then Psalms is the third Um, so that being said Jeremiah is a significant chunk of our Bible, so we should be familiar with it. We should know what it says. We should know what the message of Jeremiah is. Before we get too deep into the structure of Jeremiah, I want to introduce Jeremiah as the prophet uh, briefly. So Jeremiah was a prophet who was called at a very young age. If you have your Bible open to Jeremiah, look at uh, chapter 1, verse 6. This is Jeremiah speaking, and then he said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I was called to be a prophet to God's people at a very young age. We don't know exactly how old he was, uh, but we do know that his ministry lasted for approximately 40 years. So he's called as a young youth individual, uh, and he is a prophet for God for about 40 years. Now, a minor point that I want to point out is that in the book of Jeremiah, as you read through there are only two individuals that we are told are converted based on the preaching of Jeremiah. So for you and I, if we're looking at the statistics and we see, all right, Jeremiah was a prophet for 40 years and he had two converts, I think all of us would look and say, that's fairly unsuccessful. That's maybe a waste of time. But we need to be reminded that when God calls us to something, it doesn't matter how much success may be seen by others or what's visible to others. What matters is faithfulness to God. And and Jeremiah was a prophet who was faithful to God. He was called to a very difficult task. We don't have very many examples at all of success in this task, of individuals turning from their sin and responding by faith, but we have two. Uh, and if you want to know what those two are, the first is Baruch, who is his scribe, and you can read about that in chapter 45, and the other one is Ebed-Melech, who is an Ethiopian eunuch, and you can read about that in chapter 39. Um Jeremiah has been dubbed or known as the weeping prophet because for much of his ministry, he is weeping over the sins of Judah and the sins of Israel uh, and desiring that they would repent. That's the message that he is bringing to these people. And for the most part, they are not repenting. They're not turning away from their sins. And so he's been known as the weeping prophet. Now, if you have a ESV study Bible... Uh, This quote that I'm about to read is directly from the introduction section of Jeremiah, the ESV study Bible, and it's fantastic. And uh, this was written by a man named Paul House, uh, and he says this. Many authors have called Jeremiah the weeping prophet. While he does occasionally weep for Israel's condition, and this depth of concern speaks well of him, this emphasis on his weeping may mislead readers regarding his toughness. Jeremiah was a determined, dedicated, long-suffering, and visionary follower of God. His courage and stamina serve as examples to even the most faithful of all God's embattled servants. The Apostle Paul certainly viewed his own ministry as being like Jeremiah's in 2 Corinthians 3. Thus, Jeremiah's weeping hardly summarizes his character. He, He could perhaps be more accurately called the persevering prophet. Okay, and so be reminded that in this book, what Jeremiah is called to do is a very difficult task, but God is faithful to him, and Jeremiah perseveres even through all the hardship and difficulty that he endures. So, Getting now into the structure of the book of Jeremiah, the book is actually very well laid out in that it's easy for us, at least those of us who like to see outlines and, and all of that, the book breaks up very easily or a very uh, well in that chapter 1 is a a very good introduction in that it introduces the themes that you're going to see throughout the book. It sets the stage as far as when in the history of Israel this is taking place, uh, and even the, the individuals who are going to be opposing Jeremiah in his ministry. So that's chapter 1, and we'll look more at that here in a second. Uh, the second part, uh, and this is the, the first main theme that you'll see in chapter 1, is sin. And this is dealt with in chapters 2 through 29. And so throughout those chapters, for the most part, what you're going to see is Jeremiah confronting Israel with their sin and all the things that they have done to disobey God and to turn their back on, on God. The second theme that you'll see, and this comes after that, is in chapters thirty through thirty-three, and this is the theme of renewal, and this is where the passage, uh, our call to worship passage, came from this evening, the the promise of the new covenant, and so there are a lot of great things about promise of God renewing uh, all the things that are gone, that have gone wrong for Israel, and that takes place in these chapters thirty through thirty-three, and then the last. A uh, major section is chapters 34 to 51, and this is the theme of judgment. And so, in it, in these chapters, you see God bringing judgment, the means by which He brings the judgment, uh, and the people who are judged. You find that throughout these chapters, and then you're left with chapter 52. And chapter 52 serves as a great summary of the book of Jeremiah, or a conclusion. And what you read in it is basically a summary of the things that have taken place throughout the whole book. And so it breaks down very well for an introduction, or for for a a structure of the book of Jeremiah. So let's look back at chapter 1, and I want to introduce you all to these themes that we're going to see here. And then we'll look at a few examples throughout the book. So, in Jeremiah chapter 1, you've got the first three verses, which are really going to set the, the scene, or put this in the history of Israel. Okay, so you can read this here. Uh, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom... The word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Amon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So, all of that is typically stuff that you would just read and just skip right over and then get straight to the next stuff. Uh, But What's important about that is it tells us where in the history of Israel this is taking place. You could also go to Second Kings twenty-two through twenty-five, and that will give you more information about these kings, about what's happening at this time. Uh, so you could do that for further study. But that sets us where this book takes place in the history of Israel. Then in verses four through sixteen, it really introduces us to these themes that I've already mentioned: sin, restoration, and judgment. But look with me uh, at verse 16. So this kind of introduces this first, uh, the first theme of sin. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. Okay, So they have done evil and forsaking God, they've made offerings to other gods, and they have worshipped the work of their own hands. And so we are given an introduction to these, these are the, the sins that God is calling Israel out for uh, the things that they are guilty of. Uh, we also see in this verse, chapter, uh, verse 16 of chapter 1, this theme of judgment. Yeah, that's how the verse begins. And I will declare my judgments against them because of their sin. Okay, So you see both of those there in verse 16. But then also, if we back up to verse 10, you see this theme of renewal. And it says, See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And so you see this language of judgment and destruction, right? of plucking up and breaking down, destroying and overthrowing, but you also see the words there, to build up and to plant. And so there's this idea that while there is going to be judgment and destruction, there's also going to be renewal, there's going to be building, there's going to be planting. Then we get towards the end of chapter 1, and this really introduces the opposition that Jeremiah is going to face as he prophesies to the nation. And you can see this down in verse 17 through 19. It says, but you, this is God talking to Jeremiah, he says, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So we are told that even from the beginning, before we even get into Jeremiah's prophesying, that the kings of Judah, the officials of Judah, the priests of Judah, and the people of the land are all going to oppose him. So it seems that from the very beginning, Jeremiah knew that he was up against a tall task. There was going to be a lot of opposition. Things may not go well for him, but yet God had promised that he would go with him. He even says uh, back in Verse 9, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And then down in verse 12, he says, I am watching over my word to perform it. And then he says at the end of verse 19, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So even though Jeremiah is given an impossibly difficult task, he is told that there will be a lot of opposition. He is, he is reminded by God, I'm giving you my words. I will watch over my words to perform them. And I will be with you to deliver, the, to deliver you from the people who oppose you. So it's a great introduction to the book. Now, we get into chapter 2 and we see right from the get-go that God, through Jeremiah, is confronting the Israelites with their sin. And so look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. We'll read verses 4 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me, and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of desert and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells? And I brought you into a land. Uh, Into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. So even from the very beginning, some of the first words that Jeremiah is bringing to the people, he is calling them out and saying, You have turned away from the Lord who led you out of slavery in Egypt. Talked about that just this morning with the song of Moses. All about God performing his acts of delivering his people through judgment that he brought on Egypt. And what Jeremiah is saying is you... The people of God have forgotten the things that God has done for you. You've become worthless. You've gone after uh, the shepherds have transgressed. The prophets have prophesied by other gods. And you went after things that do not profit. And so he calls them out from the very beginning, saying that they had forgotten everything that God had done for them. Then flip over to chapter five. And in chapter five, we'll read just the first three verses. And here Jeremiah says, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man who does justice and seeks truth that I may pardon her. Although they say, As the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. You have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. So even when Jeremiah brings the word to the Israelites, to God's chosen people, they have turned their face against God. He is saying they're swearing falsely. They have felt no anguish. They've refused to take correction and they refuse to repent. So from the very beginning... Of Jeremiah's ministry. He's calling them out for all of their sins. And we're not going to do this through every one of these chapters, which deals with sin, but I want you to fast forward now to chapter 20, 28. So he's called them out for their sins. He's addressed all of the reasons that God has to be angry, to bring judgment, all the things that they have done wrong. And in chapter 28, towards the end of this section, we see another example of things that have gone bad. And you may have a heading in your Bible that says Hananiah the false prophet. And Jeremiah is is addressing this Hananiah individual and and calling him out, saying that he is a false prophet. I want you to look at uh, verses 12 through 17 through the end of the chapter. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go, tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field." And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. And so you see... That it's all of the sin that they are guilty of had resulted in false prophets arising and prophesying things that were not true, giving the people false hope to believe in things that were not going to happen. And ultimately God calls him out and it costs Hananiah his life. So all throughout these chapters we see that God is dealing with sin and all the sin that his people, his nation are guilty of. Now, before we get into this next section of renewal, I want to skip forward and talk about this third section of judgment. All right, this covers chapters 34 through 51. And there are a couple passages that I want to look at just briefly. So look at 38, chapter 38, uh, verses 17 and 18. This is... um, Jeremiah is addressing one of the kings, Zedekiah. And listen to what he says here. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, "'Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, "'If you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, "'then your life shall be spared, "'and the city shall not be burned with fire, "'and you and your house shall live. "'But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, "'then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans,' And they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. All right, fast forward to chapter 39, verses 1 and 2. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Now look down to verse 6. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes, and the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. And he put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan the captain of the guard carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city those who had deserted him deserted to him and to the people who remained so you see here it's an example of Jeremiah had spoke to Zedekiah and told him what was going to happen said if you just surrender you will spare your life and spare the people's lives but yet he rebelled he would not do it, and as a result, he watched his sons be murdered. The houses were, they were burned with fire as, as Jeremiah told him would happen. His eyes were plucked out, and he was taken as a captive. So the judgment that God brought was a direct result of his sin, of not obeying, not listening, not turning, not repenting. That's just one example that we see here uh, in these chapters of judgment. But one more, let's look at uh, Jeremiah 44. And we'll read a section that's just a little bit longer. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. But listen to what Jeremiah says here. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt, at Migdol, at Taphanes, at Memphis, and in the land of Pathros. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem and upon all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them because of the evil that they committed, provoking me to anger. And in, uh, and in they went to make offerings and to serve other gods that they knew were neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil and make no offerings to the other gods. Therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. And they became a waste and a desolation as at this day. And now, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, infant and child, from the midst of Judah, leaving no one, uh, leaving you no remnant, Why do you provoke me to anger with the words of your hands, making with the works of your hands, making offering to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have come to live, so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers, the evil of the kings of Judah, and the evil of their wives, your own evil, and the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not humbled themselves even to this day, nor have they feared, nor walked in my law and my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel Behold, I will set my face against you for harm, to cut off all Judah. I will make the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall all be consumed. In the land of Egypt, they shall fall. By the sword and by famine, they shall all be consumed. From the least to the greatest, they shall die by the sword and by famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. And I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah to which they desire or return to dwell there. For they shall not return except some fugitives. Here, God is addressing that He had told them, He had warned the people of Israel what would happen if they did not amend their ways, if they did not turn away from their sin and return to Him. And what God is saying here is He's recounting all the many prophets that He had sent to His people. He's reminding them of all the prophets that they have previously ignored and saying, you have not listened to the word of my mouth and because you have not, this judgment is coming upon you. And here's what this judgment will look like. And it's not pretty. He's bringing famine and sword and pestilence, all of these things because of their sin, because they would not turn away from their evil ways and return to the Lord. Now, we've talked about the fact that Jeremiah addresses sin. He talks about judgment. But we have this section right in the middle, chapters 30 through 33, which focus on renewal. And a couple weeks ago, when I was starting to prepare to preach this, I sat down and I wanted to read Jeremiah from start to finish uh, as as quickly as I could. It took me a little over a week to do it, just sitting down, reading a couple chapters a day. But it was really fascinating that as you do that and you, you sit down and try and read as much as you can in one sitting, you start to see these themes come up over and over again. And so when you see that, or when I tell you that you know, chapters 30 through 33 are kind of, uh, the, for the most part, this, this theme of renewal where God promises to make things right and to make things better, you definitely see that in those chapters, but you also see hints of it sprinkled all over the book. So while those first chapters of the book deal mostly with sin, there are still awesome passages sprinkled all throughout where God is giving his people hope and he's reminding them of what is to come. And even in the second half of the book, there's less of that, right, when it's more so about judgment, but there are still little uh, passages sprinkled in of this hope that we see. So the first one that we'll look at uh, is that the passage of our call to worship, chapter 31, verses uh, verses 31 to 34. And if you do not have this passage underlined or highlighted in your Bible, I recommend you do it. Uh, It is a great, great passage of Scripture. One of the commentaries that I was reading said, and and I don't know if this is true or not, uh, but it said that this is the only place in the, the Old Testament, Jeremiah is the only book that refers to the New Covenant as the New Covenant. That all the other prophets refer to Uh, the way that God is going to restore things, the way that God is going to send a savior, but they never reference a new covenant. I read that and I'm skeptical, but you know. So here's what he says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. and I will remember their sins no more. That is a fantastic passage that we should all know. We should all be familiar with that. Highlight that, underline that, make sure you know where that is. That is a great, wonderful promise right here in the middle of this book of Jeremiah. But I wanna point out a few others to you as well. If you'll flip back towards the the beginning of the book, look at Jeremiah chapter three. So this is right after he begins prophesying to the people and he's confronting them with the sin that they're guilty of. And look here at verse 15. This is Jeremiah 3 starting in verse 15. It says, "And I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed." It shall not be made again. At this time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. And all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel. And together they shall come from the land of the north to the land that I gave to your fathers for a heritage. This is another amazing passage where God is promising uh, a time when they will no longer follow after their own hearts, their own evil hearts, as he says. But he says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So even at the very beginning, as Jeremiah is beginning to confront the people with their sin, he is also mixing within that words of hope and words of promise about this renewal that will come. Okay, Uh, flip forward to Jeremiah 15. Y'all must be on your phones. I don't hear any pages turning. Jeremiah 15, look at verse 19 19 through 21. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless." So again, God is giving them these words of promise that if you will turn, return to me, I will restore you. And you will stand before me. Look forward to chapter 23. Uh, We'll look at the first eight verses. Again, an amazing passage you should know, you should be familiar with. "'Woe to the shepherds who destroy "'and scatter the sheep of my pastures,' "'declared the Lord. "'Therefore thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'concerning the shepherds who care for my people, "'you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, "'and you have not attended to them. "'Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds,' "'declares the Lord. "'Then I will gather the remnant of my flock "'out of all the countries where I have driven them, "'and I will bring them back to their fold,' And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Now that passage right there is just filled with awesome New Testament imagery of a new shepherd who's going to lead his people. We know Jesus says in John 10 that I am the good shepherd. Okay, we've got, um, I will raise up for David a righteous branch. It's the same idea of Isaiah 11, verse one. A shoot from the stump of Jesse. He, uh, verse six, and his name, by which he shall be called, is the Lord is our righteousness. Right? Romans talks about this. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, chapter three. He says that Jesus Christ is our righteousness. So that passage, twenty-three, right here in the middle of this giant book of Jeremiah, filled with this wonderful promise that we know is fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, look with me at chapter thirty. Just a few more and we will be done. Chapter 30, we'll just look at verse 3. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. Another wonderful promise that God gives to his people. Uh, Chapter 33 Look there real quick. Verses 6 through 9. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And in and this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. And they shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. And one last passage, same chapter, chapter uh, 33. Look at, down at verse... 14 Once again we hear, "Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Sound familiar? For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. Sounds like Hebrews. Verse 19, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister with me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that these people uh, have you not observed that these people are saying, the Lord has rejected the two clans that He chose? Thus they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David, my servant and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. See, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is given a very difficult task to confront a nation that has turned their back on God. They seem to love their sin and to hate their Savior. And Jeremiah seems to be mostly unfruitful in his efforts to preach this message of repentance to them. But while we only have these two instances of individuals who seem to be receptive to his message and turn away from their sin and turn to God, we are reminded all throughout the pages of this book that God is going to do this work of restoring the fortunes of his people. You see, sin brings with it destruction and judgment. If you have any questions about that, just refer to the last 20 or so sermons from the book of Revelation. We are seeing that over and over and over again. And this is another book where you're going to see it over and over and over again. But while we need to be reminded that sin brings judgment, we also need to be reminded that God has mercy. And that is scattered all through the book of Jeremiah. It's scattered all through the message that Jeremiah brings to these individuals. And we need to hear it tonight as much as we need to hear it every single day of our lives. You and I are just as guilty as all the people that Jeremiah is preaching to. All of us have sinned. All of us have turned our backs on the Lord and done things that are worthless, pursued after things that are worthless. And the message of Jeremiah is, if you will turn, If you will return to me, I will show you mercy. I will restore the fortunes that have been taken. I will put you back in the promised land that I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for us, for you and I, we know that the one who fulfills all of these great passages in the book of Jeremiah is the Son of God. It's Jesus Christ. He is the one who's the shepherd who leads us. He is the one who is going to be the root of David or the branch of David, as as it says here. And he is the one who is going to restore our fortunes. He is the one and the only one who can free us from the bondage of sin and put his law in our hearts and give us a heart that desires to love him. It is him who does that in us. It is him that we need to keep our eyes fixed on. And even though we've got this long book here in the middle of our Bible, Jeremiah, that deals with a lot of heavy things like sin and judgment, we are reminded all throughout the pages of it that God is merciful and that God will show us mercy through his son, Jesus. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful tonight to look at the book of Jeremiah and the great news that is hidden all throughout that you are going to provide offspring for David that it's going to be your own son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, we are so thankful that in him we are set free from sin. The evil heart that is in us that just turns our ways against him is taken and replaced with a heart that desires to honor him and to worship him. So God, we thank you for these wonderful promises here in the book of Jeremiah. We thank you that all of the word that you've given to us, all 66 books, they point us to you. They point us to the wonderful promises that you have made all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promises not only that you have made, but the promises that you have kept. And God, we thank you for keeping your promises. We thank you for your son Jesus, and it's in His.